0: Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, we are thankful for who you are, uh, that you are God alone, uh, that there's no one like you, uh, that as we look at everything that our eyes can see as well as the things that our eyes cannot see, uh, Lord, we know that you are before all of that. Uh, That is by your power that everything exists, that it has its being and has its purpose. Uh, And, Lord, as we have uh, the opportunity to get to know you that much more, as we think about uh, the fact that you are the initiator of grace uh, today, uh, as we open up your word, Lord, I pray that you would use it to encourage each and every uh, person here today. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're continuing our study in uh, the book of Ephesians. uh, And as you know... Uh, As part of, you know, walking through a particular book of the Bible, uh, we don't do it just as a standalone all by itself, uh, because the Word of God is cohesive uh, from beginning to end. Uh, The Word of God speaks about salvation from the very beginning, uh, because God's sovereign plan of salvation goes back before uh, the time began, uh, as we sung this morning. Uh, And so today, uh, as I was thinking about uh, moving forward a little bit, uh, I was uh, in study and I, I came across uh, something uh, pretty profound, something that just excited me in my faith after uh, 40, well, a lot, over 40 years, uh, as I thought about the initiating grace of God. Uh, and so, uh, as we begin this morning, just by way of uh, review from last time, as you know, we've been basically building a foundation upon which. Uh, we can see God's sovereign plan of salvation, uh, which was before time began. Uh, and we established um, last time that there are two seemingly irreconcilable biblical truths uh, in our text. Uh, one that we saw uh, is uh, that God has sovereignly chosen or elected some people for salvation. We took a look at John six forty four, uh, Titus 1, 1 to 3. And Second Thessalonians two thirteen through fourteen, uh, and they were just a, a sampling of scriptures that we can turn to. Uh, but God has cho- uh, sovereignly chosen or elected some people for salvation, uh, and th- that was based off of the fact of seeing that God is holy, 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 uh, and on the other hand, man is sinful, and therefore God is the one who is bridging the gap. Uh, and so the second thing that we took a look at last time was that God also calls the unsaved to repent and to come to him. And we took a look at Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 to 2, as well as John five thirty-nine to 40. And then I shared one verse uh, with you from John chapter 6, verse 37, that actually uh, has both truths simultaneously in one verse. Uh, and as I told you, uh, as we, we take a look at the Word of God, sometimes there are things that as we look at them, we cannot reconcile in our finite minds. Uh, and this is one of those truths uh, where we, we see that, uh, uh, you know, biblically, God has definitely chosen some for salvation. But he also calls the unsaved to repent uh, and to come to him. Uh, and John six thirty seven says, All that the Father gives to me, there's God's sovereign choice, Will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Uh, and that's the other side, where the, the, those that come to God uh, as He calls them uh, to repent and come to Him. Uh, and I finished out last time uh, with uh, just an encouragement to everyone because there were other truths that I shared uh, in relation to uh, Christ's incarnation, uh, the Trinity. Uh, and the fact that we're called to eternal life yet, at the same time we're called to be obedient and to persevere until the end. Uh, is that as you look at the word of God, sometimes there are uh, parallel truths uh, that speak to one particular doctrine in the Bible that we just, you know, oftentimes cannot, uh, you know, reconcile in our own minds. And that's okay. Uh, and I, I shared the verse out of Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28. Verse 28. Uh, which uh, says, Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary, his understanding is unsearchable. And so, just because uh, we do not understand it, and, and even if there are two truths that work simultaneously to give us a full picture of salvation in Jesus Christ, Uh, that just because we cannot rectify them or bring them together in such a way where we have a a clean, neat package and can understand every nuance of it does not make it any less true or any less applicable. Uh, And what we do is we default to God's understanding, which is biblically, uh, as we just read, unsearchable. Uh, And that's okay. We can trust God. Uh, We trust God each and every day. Uh, and so we can trust him even in relation to things that we cannot quite wrap our finite minds around. And then it got me thinking about, uh, uh, just in relation to God's grace, uh, the fact that he is what I'm going to call the initiator. Uh, he's not the terminator. Uh, he's the initi- initiator. Uh, and I want to show you some examples because as I thought and as I started you know, uh, paging through the scriptures, I-, I saw this theme continue to repeat itself. Uh, Where God is the one initiating grace. He is the one reaching out uh, to uh, sinful man. Uh, And we can see that first uh, as God chose out of all the people of the world the children of Israel. Uh, And we can see that in Deuteronomy chapter 7 uh, verses 6 through 8. Uh, And it says there, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. And, and, you know, as we we consider that, and before I read verses 7 and 8, you know, as we think about God choosing, oftentimes when we choose something, we base it off of the merit of what we're choosing. Uh, we, We look at it and see whether or not it's something that is going to give a benefit to us. Uh, and the interesting thing is, as we will find, and we're going to find this even in the book of Ephesians, is that God, as he chooses out, is done in his love. Uh, and even in relation to the children of Israel, uh, as it says in verse 7, it is not because you were more in number than any other uh, people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all people. But it is because the Lord loves you. And is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers, that the Lord has brought you out of with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So God is, you know, in his choosing, operating out of uh, who he is, uh, and that is out of his love for uh, that particular uh, group of people, the children of Israel. Uh, He did not say, well, you know what, that looks like a really good people. You know, they're a mighty conquering nation and uh, all the things that man would look at. Uh, No, God chose out of uh, himself, out of his love for them. We also can see from Luke chapter 19, verse 10, that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. It says there, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So who's the one doing the seeking? It's Jesus Christ. Okay? And who is he seeking? The lost. Well, who's the lost? Each and every one of us. And so we see, you know, even in the Son, we see the Father choosing out Israel. Uh, You know, we see the Godhead choosing Israel out of all the peoples of the earth because of his great love for them. We see Jesus coming to seek and to save the lost. We also know from John chapter 4, verses 23 to 26, as Jesus is talking to the woman at the well that the Father is seeking true worshipers. Um, It says there, But the hour is coming and now uh, is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And what does Jesus tell her in verse 26? Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. See, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, and those that were looking to be true worshipers, uh, to, to wait for the Messiah to come and hear the Messiah was in their very presence, seeking and saving the lost. And so the Father is seeking those who are true worshipers, who worship in spirit and truth, which is what we do each and every week that we come here, Lord willing. Is that we come for the purpose of worshiping not only in spirit as the the Holy Spirit leads our spirit to worship rightly, but also in truth. Well, what is the truth? The truth is the word of God. Uh, And that is our our guide, that is our, I want to call it modus operandi, uh, as we take and look to worship God rightly in spirit and in truth. And then two, um, one other aspect, as I was thinking about it, is the fact that it is in love that the initiating grace of God comes to anyone. As you take a look at 1 John chapter 4, um, starting in verse 9, it says, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we may live through him. So again, here it is, God's love as he sent the one who is coming to seek and to save the lost. Uh, verse 10 goes on to say, in this is love. Not that we have loved God. So again, kingdom of darkness is not coming over to the kingdom of light. It's not that we have loved him, but that he has loved us. So God is the one seeking. God is the one initiating that grace. But God that loved us and sent his Son to be a propitiation for us, we love because he first loved us. So God is the initiator. And apart from God, we would be lost dead in that kingdom of darkness, separated from God for all of eternity, if it wasn't for the love of God, seeking and saving the lost. And we can take a look as, you know, we think about, you know, I'm sure maybe some other Bible verses came to you in relation to, you know, many instances where man is repeatedly called to seek God. Okay? Well, I, I chose just two. There's, there's more than just two verses here, but I just chose two to, to give you an idea. Um, Isaiah chapter 55, verse 6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Now, if you take that verse all standalone, all by itself, you know what you see is that it, there's a call to seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. And you could use that in relation to anything you want to if you take that verse out of context. But the thing is, as you look at the context of Isaiah 55, who was that written to? It was written to the children of Israel. Okay, And so the children of Israel are called to seek the Lord while he may be found, call upon him while he is near. The same children of Israel that God chose out of the world in love. Not because they were a mighty people, not because they had strength in numbers. No, because he loved them. Uh, and as you take a look at all the Old Testament examples, you will see every instance that calls on um, men or women or children to seek God, it is always in relation to the children of Israel, God's special chosen people, to be holy to God. So it's not to the world in general. Uh, it's to a particular people. Uh, and then as we think about a New Testament example, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 Um, which we looked at um, some time ago in the Sermon on the Mount, in uh, uh, our time together there. It says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Okay, so who is that speaking to as we think about the Sermon on the Mount? Well, the audience there is a call to all believers. Believers are to seek first the kingdom of God, because if you remember... Can those who are in the kingdom of darkness seek the kingdom of light? Can they seek uh, God's kingdom? No, because the scripture makes it very clear that they're dead in their trespasses and sins. And apart from God in love, coming in through his son and opening up our spiritual eyes to be able to see these things, man has no uh, ability, has no capacity to generate faith. Because faith is what? What? A gift from God. Again, you can see God being the one who is initiating contact. He is the one reaching out, seeking and you know, searching to save that which is lost. God must initiate, or we would be lost forever. And the thing is, as we think about this, uh, and as we, we contemplate this, you know, we think maybe, well, maybe it wasn't always like that. You know, and it got me thinking about, you know, going back to the garden itself. And I was surprised to find, as you think about this initiating grace of God, and you think about Adam and Eve in that perfect set of circumstances that they found themselves, that perfect holiness, you know, they walked with God in the garden. So they were holy as he was holy. Because remember, holiness has nothing to do with that which is sinful. Okay, the two do not intermix. So the fact that Adam and Eve were walking in the garden is because they were holy like God was holy, uh, they did have the ability, um, as it were, uh, to, uh, they had the freedom to operate within the prescribed law of God. All right? And we can read that in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. It says, The Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord con- com- God commanded the man, saying, So here is the prescribed law that God is giving to Adam. Uh, as to how he is supposed to operate within this, this holiness, in this beautiful garden which God made for him to keep. This is how he's supposed to, to act in it. You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So that's the prescribed law. That is the command that God gave Adam and Eve. Is that they were to, they had the freedom to operate within the garden, to eat of every tree except for one. So that's the prescribed law. Now we know um, from the book of Genesis that Adam and Eve made a choice. They had the freedom to do so. Uh, In that perfect state of holiness, they had the ability to either obey God or disobey God. Which is something that we still have today. We have the ability each and every day to obey God or disobey God. To look at his word as truth. To worship him in spirit and truth. Or to say that, well, you know what, my desires uh, supersede, my desires trump what God's truth is. And the thing is, even as believers in Jesus Christ, we can still do that. That's why we have the ability to confess our sins. That when we think about salvation, our sins have been paid in full past, present, and future. Because when Jesus died on the cross, was our sins past, present, or future? Future. I did not, I was not there. I'm not that old. I may look like I am old, but I'm not that old. So did Adam and Eve go looking for God after they sinned? Because this is is profound. This is something that, like I said, this helped me be able to see this even more. Even going back to the very garden itself, did Adam and Eve, who were holy and able to be in the very presence of God, did Adam and Eve go looking for God after they sinned? And the answer to that question is, no, they did not. That's right. You almost quoted it. So, no, the, the, the scripture says they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God, Well, why did they hide themselves from the presence of the Lord God? Because guess what? Holiness reveals sinfulness. And sinfulness cannot be in the presence of holiness. That's why we needed a Savior. But see, even as you look back into the garden, you can see the actions of Adam and Eve. They hid themselves because they were spiritually naked before the God who is holy, holy, holy. And that changed everything for them. They all of a sudden saw their guiltiness. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 13 puts it this way. That no creature is hidden from his sight. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Do you ever notice that when the, you know, someone is guilty that they resist? You know, we find here that God went looking for Adam and Eve. See, Adam and Eve did not even uh, contend with the sin nature that we have. And, you know, did Adam and Eve go looking for God and say, God, you know what? We messed up. And we know that you're a, a, a holy, holy, holy God. What can we do to make this right? We, we ate of the tree that we weren't supposed to eat of. No, they went and hid. Because that's what holiness does. It shines a light in all that darkness. And it reveals sinfulness for what it truly is. And that's when we think about God's initiating grace and how how great great grace is. And even as we sung about it this morning, you know, that our God is gracious. But you know what? That does not, just because he's gracious doesn't mean that his holiness has to take, you know, some sort of exception to man's sinfulness. He can't do that. His holiness will not allow it. But see, who went looking for who? God initiated grace. He went looking for them. God knew what they you know, did. God knew what they were going to do. Because remember, salvation is God's sovereign plan before the, the ages began. So before he even created Adam and Eve, because he is the all-knowing God who is sovereign over all, he knew And again, that may be one of those things that your finite mind can't wrap quite around. But you know what? That's when the the, the infinite comes in contact with the finite. We're not going to understand everything. But you know what? I can certainly understand amazing grace. And the initiating grace of God. You know, and when God confronted them, was their response one of personal repentance? Well, the answer that is No. Because even when God came in contact with them, what was their response? Guess what? Here's Adam, the one who our sinful nature comes from, didn't just, you know, at this point, be a man and say, you know what, God, I, I did exactly the thing you told me not to do. You know what he did instead? And this shows you the power of sinfulness is that he blamed God. You know, he blamed God for giving him the woman who was, you know, his helpmate. He didn't take ownership for it because that's what sinfulness does. It does not take ownership for its sin because it loves sin. And it will find some way else to blame someone else to justify something else because that's what sinful people do. They have no desire to tell you know themselves the truth, let alone God the truth. And guess what? Sorry, ladies, Eve was no better. Because guess what? Did Eve say, you know what, God, I, I, I'm sorry... I, I ate of the tree that I wasn't supposed to. No. What did she do? She blamed the serpent. So what happens is, is that sinful individuals find someone else to blame. You know, the, the culture made me do it. You know, the, my, my peers made me do it. Peer pressure made me do it. You know what? Uh, all kinds of things that man will come up to you know with to find a way to blame something else apart from God for their sinfulness and will not take ownership of it. And that's what we are like apart from God. That's why God has to be the initiator of grace. He is the one who has to bridge the gap. And the interesting thing is, is as you, you look further into this account, is when they chose to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they lost something. And that was the ability to eat, or I should say, the ability to have the freedom to eat of the tree of life. Because you know what? The tree of life was in the garden. They had the ability to eat of the tree of life, just like all the other trees of the garden, because the only one that God said don't eat of was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so when they chose to eat of that tree, they lost the freedom to eat of the tree of life, which is, in a sense, a good thing, because God knew Adam and Eve's heart, because holiness pierces through, remember? Remember? No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. We cannot hide our sin from God. We can hide our sin from ourselves. We can hide our sin from other people, but we cannot hide it from God. His holiness reveals it instantly. You see, God knew Adam and Eve's heart and spared them from being misled into thinking that the tree of life would restore the lost spiritual life of their souls. But as we read the rest of the Word of God, chances are, guess what? They wouldn't even wanted to do that because they were content to sin before a holy God. And however you want to package it, if you want to say, "Well, they were you know tricked into it," no, they still made a choice. And even today, people, you know, even even believers. But oftentimes you'll hear unbelievers say this. Well, Satan made me do it. No. See, that goes all the way back to the garden again. Sinful man wants to blame someone else for his condition and not take ownership. See, if Adam and Eve had taken of the tree of life in their sinful state, they would have been eternally sealed in that state and in the consequences that result from it. So here is the initiating grace of God. Here is God's judgment, his love, and his kindness coming together. In a very gracious way, he drove man out of the garden so that he would not eat of that tree, that he would not be tempted to take of the tree of life. Because guess what? God had a sovereign plan of salvation before the time began. And he knew that eating the tree of life would not pay for the consequences of sin. All that would do is secure and seal man in that. They needed a savior. They needed Jesus Christ. God's initiating grace is so beautiful. But you know, sinful man likes to hide from God. And I like what R.C. Sproul said. He said, people do not seek God. They seek after the benefits that only God can give them. The sin of fallen man is this. Man seeks the benefits of God while at the same time fleeing from God himself. We are, by nature, fugitives. See, we're a slave to that sin. And we, we want all the benefits... Of what God can give us, but we don't want to deal with the one thing that we have to deal with. And that is, how does sinful man be in the presence of holiness? And only God can take care of that. Only God can reach in and change. And I want you to think for just a moment, and I'm going to close with this. Out of Mark chapter 7, and this is just one passage that speaks to man's sinfulness but I want you to think for a moment because it is the God who is holy, holy, holy the God who is love the God who is grace the God who is just the God who is kind and merciful this is the God who is seeking out these types of individuals those who have evil thoughts toward God and each other who are sexually depraved Who steal what does not belong to them, who take the lives of others created in the image of God, who commit adultery, distorting God's beautiful design for marriage, desire to have what belongs to others, do malicious things at the expense of others, who dishonestly deceive, who are full of jealousy and bitterness, who lust after wanton living who smear the reputation of others, who are arrogant and puffed up with pride, and think, speak, and do foolish things. That's what Mark chapter 7, verses 21 and 22 say in a little bit more concise language. But that's who God is seeking out through his son, Jesus Christ, the one who came to seek and to save the lost, the one who is operating in the love of God To provide a way for sinful man to once again be in perfect communion with him. It's not something that man can do on his own because man doesn't want to do it. He wants to blame something else. He wants to be in that existence. He wants all the benefits of the sinful world and not have any of the responsibility of it. And you can look at our culture today and see that living out in real time. And it's a struggle for for believers even today. Because even these things that I listed here can be us even after being redeemed. Isn't it wonderful that God reaches out, that he initiates, that he is the initiator, that we are not just left to the just results of our sinfulness before God. That as we have a sin nature, yes, but we willfully choose to sin, each one of us, before a holy God. That's why grace is so beautiful. It's so beautiful that God is the one doing the initiating because man cannot initiate. He doesn't want to initiate. And he's done so from the very beginning. We can go back to Adam and Eve and see this lived out as well. That he went looking for them and this is someone who had a perfect holy relationship that they walked with God in the garden but when it came time when they found out that they had done what was wrong, instead of looking for God someone that they walked with and no doubt talked with in the garden fellowshiped, communed with God had to go looking for him. not as if he didn't know where they were he did but it's to show us a picture of what God does in salvation. He is the one seeking. He is the one reaching out in that initiating grace so that we, through faith and trust in Christ alone, the one who came to seek and to save the lost, can once again enjoy fellowship with the infinite, amazing, omnipotent, omniscient, loving, kind, gracious, merciful, beautiful God that he is so today remember the initiating grace of God because without it you would still be dead in your trespasses and sins you would be apart from God under the just judgment of your sinfulness against the holy God for Adam and Eve they were driven out of the garden and once, you know, experiencing you know life eternal, being able to eat of the tree of life, found themselves with a death date. Physically, but also spiritually, because communion had been broken. And even then, God provided a sacrifice, because he provided clothing for them, to cover up their sinfulness, to cover up their nakedness, by shedding the blood of an animal so they could have skins to wear. What a gracious God we have. Let's bow for a closing word of prayer. Father, Lord, we thank you for these truths today. Lord, I thank you for just how your word from beginning to end does not convolute the truth, does not uh, you know make it complicated, um, but it does take faith to believe the truth, a uh, faith that you uh, freely give us as a gift. Uh, And, Lord, we we thank you for the the fact that we have your truth that we can can read and we can take in and absorb and to, to better appreciate who you are. Because we have down how to elevate ourselves, how to puff ourselves up and to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. And then we have the example of your son, Jesus Christ, who humbled himself to the point of death on a cross. So that we could experience forgiveness, that we could experience redemption, that we could be reconciled to you, that we could be at peace with you. A peace that was lost when our, our father and our original mother, Adam and Eve, chose to sin against you. Thank you that you've reached out. Thank you that you have sought us out. And may we forever remember that grace that initiated our eyes being open to the truth and being able to experience salvation in your son, Jesus Christ, the one who and the only one who can give us eternal life. We pray these things in his name.